You know, you think about it, how many times do you get to gather with a group of people and talk about eternal things and talk about the hope that we have in eternity? The reality that no matter what's happening in the world around us, eternity has been set in Christ and we get to worship him. And we've talked about this whole series and this is the end of the series, but I think this is such an important thing because there's so many things the world says you need to be healthy. You need to be healthy with your body. You need to be healthy with your work. You need to be healthy with your family life. You need to be healthy with your investments. You need to be healthy with your retirement. All these things we're told over and over and over again about where we should put our energy, where should we put our time, where we should put our finances so we can be healthy. And the more I consider, and I'm sure you consider it, you realize the most important place for us to be healthy is in our spirit and our relationship to God. There is nothing that compares to our relationship to God. That is the single most important place. We need to be healthy. And you can't even be healthy if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because you're spiritually dead. You can't be healthy when you're dead. Did you know that? (laughs) If you're dead, there's no worry about how healthy you are because you're not alive. But when you're alive in Christ, you can grow in Christ. And you become more and more like him. And so this is exactly what God is looking for. You know, this is exactly what God is looking for us this morning. Because in John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, A time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. You know, the Father is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and truth. You know why? Because verse 24 says, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship, not should or can. They must worship in spirit and truth. And so this morning, as a pastor, my goal is to to get all of us in a place of spiritual truth. My goal for myself during the week and and preparing for a Sunday is that my heart is set on the, the truth of who God is and my spirit is being filled by the Holy Spirit with wisdom and understanding. And so the spiritual health that we all want to receive is found in Christ. We, ta- we started with, uh, you were created for the Holy Spirit to lead your thoughts and emotions. We talked about the concept that we're made up of, th- the Bible has revealed we're made up of three parts. Three parts, my flesh, my soul, and my spirit. And most people don't recognize these things because they're being led by them. That's why we talk about a blind guide. They're being blindly led by their emotions. How many people do you know that are led by their emotions? They do whatever makes them feel good. We live in a unique area here near Daytona where a lot of people live by their emotions, whatever makes them feel good. There's other people that are very logical and they're led by their, their own understanding. They're led by their own wisdom and they trust their own wisdom and insight. And, and they trust their minds to be able to navigate life. And we're told both of those in scripture are faulty and flawed and will lead you to disaster, will lead you away from God and lead you to destruction. And that the only place of true life and true spiritual health is to let the Holy Spirit of God, who comes and dwells within you, he is called your advocate, your helper, to lead you in life. You were created to be led by the Holy Spirit. You were not created to be led by your emotions. You were not created to be led by your intellect. You were created to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And in that, we, if you live that out, you'll be a Christ-centered person. And a Christ-centered person has... Um, an extremely a large amount of fruit in their life. They have amazing fruit. They have eternal fruit in their life. And it's, it's a powerful thing to recognize. 
that you can have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this morning we're going to look at the importance, the importance, um, the world needs a spirit-filled person to persevere. Do you know what the world needs right now? They need the gospel, and they need those who are persevering in the gospel. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to see those that are persevering in the gospel. Those are the two elements that the world needs right now. It doesn't, it's not something that's on the side. This is an absolute necessity that the world needs. When I was in college, I went to Liberty University, and every Wednesday and Friday, we had to go to chapel. And at chapel, we heard the same message. I heard the same message all four years in my undergrad that, I, that uh, as I attended chapel, we heard this message on a regular basis. And this is actually the quote of what was said. It says, the greatness is, uh, you do not determine a man's greatness by his wealth or power, but what it takes to make him quit, what it takes to make him give up, what it takes to make him throw in the towel. And, you know, one of the things as a pastor and growing up in the church, I love the idea of heaven. I love the idea of, you know, worshiping God. It makes you feel great on the inside. I love the idea that, that, that I get to partner with other people. And I, and I love the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. It says, if I have the fruit of the Spirit, I have love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and faithfulness. I skipped one, the one that I, that I never really understood. In the King James, it's called long-suffering. How many of you like the idea of long-suffering? How many of you like the idea of perseverance? But I find it interesting that all these other things, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, they are created through perseverance. And the one that I don't like, the one that seems hard and rough, I believe is one we need to recognize is, is important. To grow the fruit of the Spirit that we like, to enjoy the greatness of God, to enjoy his, being his child, we need to allow him to mold us through perseverance. But you know that's difficult? It's difficult. How many of you have tried something and failed? How many of you have, have said, I'm going to do this from now on, and then the next moment you do the thing you said you wouldn't do? How many of you have had trials of all kinds in your life and it's like as soon as something good happens, something bad has to happen right after it? How many times in life is this a roller coaster of things are great, now things are miserable, things are great, things are miserable, things are great, things are miserable, that we have this flow through our lives of challenge and it just seems like it keeps going on and on and you kind of get to the point where you say, why should I even try? Right? Why should I even try to get that right? How, why should I even try to make sure I'm doing what is worthy of a follower of Christ? Because every time I try, I fail. Every time I try, there's an obstacle. Every time I try, there's a difficulty. So why even try? And so that's the question I want us to dive into God's word and find some helpful answers to why we should even try when it comes to this life of challenges. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we precede his word in prayer. Father God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of everything that we are. And Lord, as we gather here, we've, we got out of bed and we came here. And Lord, um, my prayer is that we're all here to grow and mature. 
And Lord, that you would teach us new things, show us new things, reveal your, your, yourself in new ways. And Lord, as we look at life and we look at the difficulties and it's never really what we think it should be. And, and Lord, it's not that storybook kind of ending that we, we think life should have and, and it's just a lot of challenges. Lord, we need to know that you're with us. We need to know that you're guiding us. We need to know, Lord, that, that you are faithful when we're faithful. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless your words as we read them, that we would internalize them, that we would challenge ourselves to grow, and that, Lord, we would trust you in all things. Help us now not to be distracted by anything. Help us to to tune our hearts to you, be willing to hear from your Holy Spirit as you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at two passages. If you want to uh, kind of turn to them in your Bible, I'll give you a few seconds to go there. We are in John 15 this week, not John 13. That was a mistake. John chapter 15, if you want to turn there. We're going to be looking at John 15, verses 18 through 21. And then if you also want to turn over, we're going to look at James chapter 1. Those are the two places we're going to look at to see what God has to say about why we shouldn't quit, why we shouldn't give up. Now, as we look at the book of John, chapter 15, we recognize the author of John was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest disciples. This was the disciple that Jesus loved. That's what John tells us. And John, uh, and and what you're going to notice too, is all of Jesus' closest friends, um, there was a consistency of challenge in their lives. There was a, uh, a, for all of them, all of them had to struggle it wasn't easy. We know that all but one were martyred in, in many grotesque ways for following Christ. And John, John, he was, uh, we know that he wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote that while he was in jail. He was in one of the worst jails of his time, uh, and not to be gruesome or not to be extreme here, but this jail was known, it was known for a place where people would actually be eaten by rats. It was known for that. So uh, John didn't experience health, wealth, and a comfy life. (laughs) John is put in a place of extreme, extreme challenge and extreme difficulty. And yet when you turn and open your Bible, one of the books of the Bible, everyone always wants to read it. Everyone has a question about is the book of Revelation. We know John was in the midst of extraordinary challenge in his life. And as he went from uh, situation to situation, he found himself in these very, very difficult times. And and we also know those that were with John, his his friends, his partners, the disciples that were teaching with him, they were also uh, put to death and very, very difficult. So when we read from John, we're not reading from someone who had a cushy life. We're not reading from someone who... uh, had everything go his way and have life work out exactly the way he wanted it. We're reading from a genuine person who lived and experienced Christ, and here's what he records of the words of Jesus. Verse 18 of chapter 15 in John. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And who sent him? His father is God. And so Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, that if they persecute me as your teacher, if they persecute me, the one you're trying to emulate, they're going to persecute you also. They're going to persecute you also. And I would say Jesus was the master teacher on the topic of persecution. Jesus was the master teacher. He understood it in every way. And he wanted us to understand that if there's persecution in your life, it doesn't mean that, that God is mad at you. If you have persecution in your life, it doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong thing. In one sense, persecution comes to those who are truly following Christ. And if we're never persecuted, and we've never been persecuted in our whole lives, we need to ask ourselves the question, how much like Christ are we? Because he says, if you love the Father like I love the Father, and if you, if you teach as I teach and you live as I live, you will be persecuted. And so we're called to that. That's a, that is something that as believers in Christ, we're called to. Now, I don't like that. And probably you don't like that either. We don't like the idea of persecution. We don't like the idea of long-suffering. These are not things we look forward to in life. These are things we don't want to happen to us or to our families. So why are they there? Why does Jesus allow us to be persecuted? Why does Jesus allow us to go through tough times and hardships and struggles? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, probably the next closest to him, next to Peter and John, he tells us the whole purpose of persecution and trials and tribulations. James chapter 1, if you want to turn over there, James chapter 1 started in verse 1. Here's what he says. Consider it pure joy... My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let me read it one more time. This is amazing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Who's allowing that testing? The Father. How many of you enjoyed tests growing up? What is the purpose of a test? What is the purpose of a test? A test is to reveal what you know, right? And the test that God gives us helps him and helps us to recognize who and what we are. If I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life, if I want love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and I want these things to be part of who I am, then I must be put to the test. If I want patience, guess what? God's not going to put a bunch of patient people in my life. Right? If you need patience, guess what? God is going to put you in a lot of tests where he tests your patience. Did you know that? He grows you through the test. He grows you by allowing things to happen in your life that will mature you in the areas you need growth the most. And guess what? As the master, as the the teacher, he knows exactly what you need. 
You know, there's people in your life, you ask God, why did you put this person in my life? This person drives me nuts. Why did you put this job in my life? Why did you put this situation in my life? This thing drives me crazy. Why would God allow this into my life? And if you listen, he would say, because I'm trying to grow you and mature you. So you need to consider it pure joy whenever you have testing. Now, if you have testing because you're sinning, that is not from God. That is the consequence of sin. And so there's testing that comes because of the consequence of sin, and that is brought on by ourself, and that leads us to destruction. But there are testings that come from God that we do not like because they expand us and they grow us and they stretch us. And this is the testing of the Holy Spirit. And James is saying, the reason you need to persevere, the reason perseverance is in the list of the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, the reason you need this in your life is because if you don't have perseverance, you're never going to grow those fruit. It's through the perseverance that leads to the growth and the maturity. That's even what James says. He says, let's perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Not lacking in anything. C.S. Lewis in his book called The Problem of Pain, he talks about uh, as a young boy, he never wanted his uh, mom to take him to the dentist. He hated the dentist. So he would have these toothaches and he wouldn't tell his mom about it. He wouldn't tell his mom about the toothache. And then uh, because he knew if he went to the dentist, what would the dentist do? He would, he would pull it, but he would also look at the rest of his mouth, right? He would look at the rest of his mouth, and he would see, oh, you have some problems over here. You have, you have some issues over here. You have some issues over there. I'm not just going to deal with this one issue that you want me to deal with. I'm going to look at your whole mouth. And the little boy didn't want the dentist looking at the whole mouth. He just wanted the pain to be gone. And how often in life, how often in life do we come to God and we say, deal with this one thing in my life, but don't look at anything else? Deal with this one issue in my heart. Deal with this one issue in my relationship. Deal with this one issue in my life that's it's really bugging me. It's bringing me down. I don't know if I can tolerate it anymore. But don't look at anything else. Right? And, and here James is telling us that we should allow the Holy Spirit of God to let us go through these tests and trials because they're going to help us to be complete. He's going to deal with us in a complete way, not a partial way. God doesn't fix us the way we want to be fixed. He fixes us the way he has created us to be. And so this morning, as you think about these things, you think about how much are you allowing God into your life? How much are you looking at the problems and only focusing on the problems of life and not recognizing these are opportunities? These are opportunities for growth. You know, one of the amazing things of following Christ is nothing in your life is wasted. Not a single thing in your life is going to be wasted. Every single thing that happens to you can be used for the glory of God and for the maturing of your heart and your soul. That means all those things you hate about life, all those things that bug you about life, all those things that you dread can be used for growth and they have a purpose and they can be redeemed and they can turn you into what God wants you to be. But it's a state of mind. Remember, James said, consider it all joy. That means it's a decision that we all make. It's in our hearts and in our minds. Do we consider these things valuable? Do we consider these things worthwhile? And I would say perseverance produces spiritual health. 
Out of all things in life, perseverance produces spiritual health. Verse 5 says this, If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It'll be given to you. Isn't it strange that he he finishes this statement about perseverance and then he goes to ask for wisdom? To me, James is saying, look, when you don't understand why things are happening to you, ask God for wisdom. When you don't understand why that thing is happening in your life, when you don't understand why this challenge is in your life, ask God for wisdom. And what does it say? God gives generously and he won't judge you based on it. So many of us are afraid to go to God because we sense that judgment will overwhelm us. And we live in shame. You know, shame, shame is an asset if, you, if it, it brings you to God. But you're not, to sh- you're not to carry shame for very long. Some of us have been carrying shame our whole lives. You've been carrying shame because you were raised in a way that made you feel shameful all the time. God has created shame for one purpose, to draw you to himself. Once you're to him, that shame should be gone. Once you find freedom from that sin, you find freedom from that that mistake, then you find peace. And so today, persevering through these things, focusing on the Lord, do you know why this is so important? Do you know why it is so important that we talk about this subject today? Because the world absolutely needs people to proclaim the gospel and live the gospel. And to live the gospel is to persevere. To live the gospel is to persevere. And here's what what I would say to you this morning. Every single one of us in this room have been the beneficiaries of someone who persevered in their faith. Every single one of us, you, me, everyone in this room, everyone in this country is a beneficiary of someone who persevered in their faith. You would not be who you are if someone in your history, in your life, did not persevere in their faith. So that is the call for us. That is the challenge for us. That is the level that has been given to us. It reminds me of the story of a young boy named Erwin Sukkot. How many, how many have heard of Erwin Sukkot? Erwin was born in the 400 AD. He was born in England. His family was wealthy. They were churchgoers, but didn't really consider that to be anything of importance. It was more of a place to connect and do business. And so he never really had, outside of his grandfather, never really had anyone there to talk to him about the things of God, the things of of heaven and hell and the spiritual realm. He didn't have that other than his grandfather. And so he thought the religion and Christianity and the church was a little bit of a, just a tool to make money. Well, when he was 17 years old, pirates came to his village And they ransacked it and they took him as captive. And they put him on a boat and they sent him from his home. And they took him back to their homeland. And there he was turned into a shepherd as a slave. And at 17 years old, he was trained to watch the sheep at night. And when he would be out there watching the sheep, he would look up into the sky at night and he would look at all the stars and he would remember some of the prayers his grandfather had taught him. And he would begin to pray those prayers and he'd say, God, if you're real, if you're true, show yourself to me. If you're authentic, if you're something to be worshipped, help me to understand that. And as the years went by, he began to grow this deep relationship with God, this deep uh, relationship in a spiritual way with God, his father. 
And one night, he just couldn't sleep, and he had these visions within him that, that was him to leave, and he sensed God's Spirit telling, it's time to go. You are to leave now. You are to go. You are to leave. And so, in the middle of the night, he decided, this must be from God, and he began a, a 200-mile journey to the coast to find some way to get back to England. And so he went on this trek and, and he had nothing and he left and he just said, I'm going to follow whatever God is leading me to. And he gets all the way to the coast and he's almost dead by the time he gets there. And as he gets there, he sees this giant ship that he knows he hears is heading back to England. And so he tries to get aboard the ship, but the captain says, we can't take you, we can't take you. And, and he casts him away, and, and the young boy walks down the side of the beach. He's distraught, he's overtaken. Uh, he begins to talk to God. He says, God, you brought me all this way, you brought me all this way. Why? Why did you bring me here? So that I would die? So I'd be recaptured and tortured? And as he was having these thoughts... One of the seamen on the ship came to him and said, the captain has reconsidered, come aboard. You may join us. He joined the ship, they returned to England. He was reunited with extended family. And he remembered what God had done in his life and he, he began to pursue to become a priest within the church. And so he became a priest and he got a new name and he got a new approach to life and his whole life was committed to reaching people with the good news of the gospel. Well, one night he had a dream and in his dream he saw all those people that he left, all those people that were back at that place that he was a slave and they were yelling, come back, come back to us, we need you, we need the hope, we need the gospel. And so the next day, he got together some money, and he got on a boat, and he returned to that island that he had been stolen to. And he went from town to town, as he was persecuted town to town, saying, I was a slave here, but I was set free. And he began to share with them the good news of Jesus. And people say it was as if he was going through the island, getting rid of the snakes of Satan. And his, his master found out he was coming to his house. His master found out that here, the slave was going to come tell him about this good news. And his master was so stubborn and so full of hatred that he burned his house down with him in it. And when he got there, Erwin was so upset he was so upset. But God said, I have great things for you to do. Now, I'm sure that you've heard of this person because on Wednesday, most of the world celebrates him. We know him by St. Patrick. And his day is a celebration of a man who by faith persevered. He persevered and he brought the gospel. We're, we're told that he was one of the first missionaries to bring the gospel to any other place than Europe at that time. That going to Ireland, a pagan nation, with the good news, and he started to plant churches and it was difficult. So many people wanted him dead. So many people wanted to eliminate him. And yet he persevered. He persevered and today, this week, people will wear green in honor of him. 
But in reality, they should be worshiping the God that he worshiped and honoring the God that he honored. Do you see why it's so important for us to persevere? Do you see that God didn't put you here just for you? That your life, your life could be the only hope that someone else has? You may be the only gospel they ever see or hear. You may be the only gospel that someone sees or hears. That's a great responsibility, but it's also a great opportunity. But it won't happen. It won't happen if we're not spiritually healthy. If we don't set it in our heart that we're going to persevere, that no matter what happens, we're going to trust God. And so here's what I want to give you as an application this morning. Here's my application. Number one, we all need to rethink adversity. I believe our culture has ingrained in us this idea that we should run from pain and anything that hurts and try to find comfort and as comfort being the most important thing in life. I think we need to retrain ourselves as followers of Christ when we consider the the issue of adversity. And in many ways, adversity is what will bring joy to our neighbors, to our children. The adversity that we go through that grows us and grows them is essential to becoming what Christ wants us to be. Secondly, I believe all of us in this room, I guarantee if I sat down with you and we had coffee together, you would tell me a story of adversity in your life. You would tell me something that's happened in your life that was devastating, something that happened to your life that was harsh and hard. And you know what you did and you know what we need to do? We need to keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Just get up the next day. Just take another step forward. Just keep moving forward. One of the greatest tools, one of the greatest helps in life is just keep moving forward. And don't move forward where you think you should go. Move forward where he's leading you. Just keep following. Just keep moving. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. No matter how bad it gets, keep moving forward. And then finally, I would encourage you in this. Aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. Some of you are hunters. Some of you are sportsmen and sportswomen, and you understand the idea of when you aim big, there's a lot of area to miss. When you aim small, there's a lot less area to miss. Some of us are aiming our lives, and it's huge. We're aiming our lives at pleasure. We're aiming our lives at stuff. We're aiming our lives at a lot of different things. And because we've aimed our lives at so many things, it's hard for us to persevere because we don't even know what to really persevere in. I would say if we could, all of us, just kind of get tunnel vision on Jesus, if we could just take all that stuff of life, all that stuff that stresses us out, all that stuff that pulls us away, all that stuff that just is anxiety, and we could just narrow it down and put our focus right on the Lord. That would help us persevere. We want to be so worried about what's going to happen in the future. What's going to happen with this? What will these people think? How will this play out? What will this do to me? When we're focused on the Lord, when I focus on the Lord, I'm not thinking about what I can do. I'm knowing what he can do. I think a lot of us, we got to resize the focus of our lives. 
We've got to get a little bit more tunnel vision on Jesus and stop worrying about the things of this world, the things that all have expiration dates. You know, so many people live their lives to impress people they don't even like. They live their lives to, to accumulate things that they'll never be able to take with them. If you focus your heart and life on Christ and him alone, you will never have a regret. You will have life, and you'll have it in abundance. What is he saying to you today? What is the Lord speaking to you about? Let's go to him in prayer.